And it sure is this candle burn And if you're lost Begged you Finished you Welcome to Prince Drive by Track, I'm your host Darren, and today we're going to be talking about Had You, the final track from Chaos and Disorder, recorded February March 1996 at Paisley Park and released on the 12th of June 1996 as the B-side to Dinner with Dolores, uh, the, the only single released from this album. Uh, on the track it is just Prince by himself. Uh, the track is 1 minute 25, and joining me to talk about it today is Russell Irick. Hello, Russell. Hello. Now, in terms of, like, a genre, I don't know what... I mean, <laughs> it doesn't feel like this is, like, a, like this song could be put into a genre because it's just essentially a list of grievances. Or, <laughs> um, I, I think, actually, it's funny because some people have said that this is almost like a description of Prince's relationship with Warner Brothers. Mm-hmm. Like, that's how they see it. Um, you know, like the whole found you that that kind of is the third the third of the, of the many on this list um, is found you. And some people think that that's like, you know, Prince getting the contract and then you gradually kind of, you know, go through it. And then obviously, uh, you know, you finish off with the hurt, you disappoint you, fuck you, had you. And that's kind of like the last couple of years with Warner Brothers. Um, right. But, Although, I mean, you know, wouldn't wouldn't Warner Brothers have found him? Really? I don't think like. Prince discovered this little small music label out in the woods or something like in <laughs> no. by Lake Minnetonka somewhere. I think. Yeah, I think. I, I mean, I guess, they, they I guess, probably like, saw it the other way around. That, <laughs> I mean, I, I, I mean, Prince when he started his contract with Warner Brothers, he was, you know, he was offered uh, contracts by a number of different labels, mm-hmm. and you know, Warner Brothers was the one. I think they were the, the last one to make an offer, and he that was the offer that he took. Um, you know, so I, I mean, I, I don't know. It's it's one of those things where to me, this just like we only have like kind of two chords um, through the whole song and they're just kind of alternating. Like as he says, the something you they're like the chord changes under yeah. each. Um, and it's pretty much just that over and over and over for, you know, a minute and 25 seconds. <laughs> and then it just kind of fades out and, and you finish with like a little guitar flourish and that's it. That's the end of Prince's career with Warner Brothers, um, for the time being, at least. And, you know, it's kind of like the end of like an, such an acrimonious relationship, you know, like um, when Prince signed the record contract in 1992, he was kind of in front of the press and Warner Brothers were kind of saying this is, you know, a great deal for us. It's a great deal for Prince. You know, part of the contract included running costs for Paisley Park. You know, he was going to deliver six albums in six years. Um, you know, he was going to be touring, he was going to be promoting, you know, more than just one single from each album. He was, you know, they had a lot of high hopes and then it kind of almost immediately turned sour and, you know, Prince started to demand his masters and, you know, then he changed his name. <laughs> and I don't, it, it's, it's just one of those things where you kind of, like, there's no kind of real pinpointing exactly what went wrong. Um, but it was felt that when Mo Austin were, you know, left Warner Brothers, he was the one who had spoken with Prince, you know, for like, you know, the previous like 14, 15 years. He was the one who had arranged all of his different contracts. He was the one who arranged, you know, for Purple Rain to be made. You know, he was the, he was the kind of point person for Prince. And once he left Prince, you know, in some interviews, he said he didn't know anyone at Warner Brothers. You know, like there'd been a change of management and he, he had no idea who to talk to. Mm-hmm. And so he kind of felt adrift. And it seems like the only way he felt he could resolve that was by getting out of the contract as soon as he possibly could. Yeah. Um, 
and you know so that's what he did you know he wrote he wrote slave on his cheek and he spent four years releasing album after album after album until they reached the point where Warner Brothers were happy that he'd released enough to fulfill the contract. It starts on sort of a positive note, at least the beginning of a relationship, it feels like. But you're pretty sure it's all going sour just because musically everything is sort of descending. So, you yeah. know, you just start immediately like, you know, missed you, <laughs> called you. Like it's always <laughs> going down. Like the whole song feels yeah. like a staircase. Um, it's all a descent. And so you're sort of just waiting for it to end. You know, it's just like, well, this is this is the finale here. This is all like walking downstairs, basically. And, you know, like the, the, it feels like the first kind of three lines. I mean, it's hard to kind of break it into lines because they're just, you know, statements one after the other. Right. But that kind of missed you, found you, missed you, called you, found you. That seems relatively positive. In mm-hmm. that you know, Prince has now found whoever this person is that he's talking about. Yeah, um, and then and then Prince kind of gets a bit desperate in the next two lines with the begged you, convinced you, <laughs> which, which yeah. kind of feels like someone was like, okay, Prince, like kind of giving in to Prince after the, all the begging and convincing. Yeah, that's actually when I read the lyrics, I'm pretty. So I have my own theory about this because um, I read the um, the article diffu- the from diffuser about this song and and you know you had presented it to me as this is prince's final song with warner brothers so i already had that in my mind as a context for this song um so i almost came into it thinking that and then i tried to sort of forget that and like if i just heard this song and i didn't know any of that what would i think about and i definitely don't think i would have any idea this has anything to do with a record label because none of these words sound terribly things you would say to a record label right like you don't kiss fondle tempt undress or smell a record label <laughs> you know like these yeah. are not things you say about a record label and all of the even the like begged convinced like that just doesn't sound right for his relationship with you know, with Warner Brothers. And and even if he's trying to frame it that way in hindsight, which is sort of what I suspect is going on, that he probably yeah. wrote this before about somebody else and then thought, oh, I can make this feel like it's about um, Warner Brothers by making it kind of the final song that I do for them, kind of putting that really nasty ending on it, which I am not a fan of. <laughs> um, and, and it, it's kind of this weird thing where I, I kind of do think, well, I, I'm hoping for Prince's sake that those like last two lines are in fact about Warner brothers and not about a, another person. Because once again, it is just one more thing that makes me think he would only would be just a monster to deal with in a relationship because it is just unbearable. Like, it, it, I just love, like, how, I mean, these words are just lines apart from each other where he says, hurt you, disappoint you, fuck you, had you. Like, yeah. Like, you know what you say when you, after you admit you hurt and disappointed somebody? You say, I'm sorry, <laughs> right? Like, maybe a better <laughs> finale for this song would be, forgive me right like that would have been the better last line to break your whole like every line ending with you and then like to show a little bit of humbleness and to sort of say i'm sorry for after you just said you hurt and disappointed somebody like it's so bizarre and and it's just so gross to imagine this as a person and just being like 
hurt you, disappointed you, also mounted you. Like, (laughs) like that is the grossest thing to say. That is so gross. Like that's like describing cattle, you know, (laughs) not a person. I mean, I I think I think it's quite interesting because there are some people who feel that, you know, this song is about Prince's relationship with his fans. And Hmm. and so, you know, the, the kind of like, you know, found you is like him finding his audience and then the kind of like, you know, saw you is is seeing the crowds and, you know, not every single line being about right. that, but there being like an, an under undercurrent of, well, I mean, maybe smelled you is the, is the crowds <laughs> that, as well. That's the one that's a little hard to get beyond for me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but that like the whole wanted you, asked you, thanked you, that feels like he's talking about maybe just those three lines are about yeah. the fans. Like, you know, he wanted his fans. He asked them, you know to kind of come along with him on this on this kind of ride and then he thanked them for being part of it um and then of course we did get them mounted you i think the funny thing is like i think like the the certain lines in here like the the begged you the smelled you and the mounted you i think those are the ones that are kind of hard to get past because it, it's like in any context they don't they don't they don't really fit like with the idea which is why i think maybe maybe this is Partly about a person, but it's also partly about the record contract. And in between, it's also about the fans. And so, like, there's different parts of it that are maybe referencing different things. Um, But, yeah, the kind of the finish of hurt you, disappointed you, fuck you, had you. Like, it feels like those last two lines are definitely directed at Warner Brothers more than any. Like, it doesn't feel like that would that would be anything Prince would would say about a specific person it's so vengeful right like it's so that that kind of like had you like it's totally like i played you i won you know like that's what's so nasty about it and especially if after you just you know say you mounted somebody that's like especially (laughs) horrible if if you kind yeah. of keep it in that context of a person, so it's 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 a little hard to wrestle with, and it's weird because he doesn't say those last lines quite as nasty as I am, you know, like so they don't necessarily play as um, vitriolic as they do on the page. Um, no, when you read it, it's a lot I mean- worse, I think, than when you hear it because he almost <laughs> like he almost like mumbles "had you" like barely, like at the last minute, he's just like you know, it's like kind of like "had you." You know, and that's it. Like it's it's very quick. The music does the music kind of swells underneath. Yeah, as kind of to hide it a little bit. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think I think it's funny because you know this is meant to be the end of the contract. Um, you know, Warner Brothers asked for six albums. He gave him six albums. But then in 1999, Prince has signed a deal, a one album deal with Arista, and they released an album called Raven to the Joy Fantastic, and Warner Brothers. At this, like literally a few weeks before released a, an album that had a you know prince written on the front of it and was called the vault old friends for sale and they did that deliberately to kind of muddy the waters and make it like almost like a bit of revenge like as mm. if to say look you know even though he delivered you know a certain number of albums there was a bit of a dispute as to whether or not the b-size counted towards the six albums mm. and prince had, had kind of thought it did and Warner Brothers basically had let him go, you know, at this point because, you know, it was in no one's interest to try and force him to stay. And so he signed, you know, the uh, one album deal with EMI. They released Emancipation and then Prince started releasing stuff via a telephone line, via 1-800-NEW-FUNK. People could call up and they could get music from him directly. <laughs> so, 
And, and so he released a couple of albums through that system. Um, the issue being there that people had to wait a long time for the music because Prince had to get up to a certain amount of orders before it was worth making the the records. Um, so, you know, Prince tried different distribution methods and you could buy Maite's solo album in 1996 on the, on the website, thedawn.com. So he was selling album, not, you know, you couldn't buy it digitally, but you could order it via the website and it would be posted out to you. Um, so Prince was trying other ways to distribute his music. So then when we get to 1999, Warner Brothers say, well, hold on a second. You only delivered five of the six promised albums, so we can still release one more album. And the fact that they released it as like a spoiler to this, to like the the big follow up to, to Emancipation, because, you know, Crystal Ball had been sold via, you know, phone lines. <laughs> so this was the first time in like three years that he'd released an album to record stores. And they released one a few weeks before as a spoiler. It, like it, it feels like the kind of bitterness was still there. And I, you know, I don't think anyone in Warner Brothers listened to this song and was like, do you know what? We'll hold back an album. We'll wait three years. Like, I don't think it was that calculated. But at, like looking back, it kind of looks like Prince saying, you know, kind of getting the last laugh and being like, I had you. And, you know, that's it. I'm dropping the mic. I'm off to release a 36 track album, you know, in a few months time. It feels like... Warner Brothers then are like, well, we'll see how that goes for you, Prince. <laughs> like, you know, let's let's wait a couple of years. And I think, you know, we might be able to kind of have the last laugh on you. And, you know, they also released 1990. They re-released 1999 in 1999, of course, you know, to cash in on, you know, yeah. the, the year. And Prince didn't like that either. So he released his own version of 1999 <laughs> in competition. So there was a lot of kind of tit for tat between the, the two of you know the two of them even going from this point forward and it wasn't really until like prince changed his name back in 2000 that warner brothers kind of you know drew a line under it and kind of stopped trying to attack prince you know via the medium of releasing albums he didn't want released you know like it's it's so so like that kind of pettiness feels like something that prince and warner brothers both were guilty of yeah and prince finishing this album by saying fuck you had you it, it just feels like kind of one more step in, in that kind of battle that wouldn't be resolved for another, like, you know, four years. Do you think he did have them or do you think they had him ultimately now, now that the, that now that it is all over, in fact? Well, I mean, you know, when Prince returned to them, to you know, for his his kind of final contract with them um, in like 2013, you know, he released um, Artificial Age and Plectrum Electrum and, you know, the, his last two albums, Hit and Run Part 1 and 2. And he only went back to Warners on the condition that they gave him back all his masters for his albums from his original contract. So, you know, in the in the long term, Prince ended up winning. You know, he, mm -hmm. he got all his masters back. Um, you know, his, his, his state is currently in control of those. You know, that's how they were able to release, you know, the Purple Rain Deluxe, you know, is because they had control of his music. And, you know, so Prince ended up winning you know it, mm -hmm. it was in warner brothers interest in 2013 to acquiesce to prince's demands because you know they're the ones who need the record sales now you know they're the one who need you know the 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 artists um whereas you know i would say in 1996 it was more of the record companies had the leverage yeah and at the same time as well something that i've mentioned on a couple of other tracks but you know george michael was also in dispute with sony over his contract you know, and, and, you know, there were a few other artists who were doing the same, you know, like kind of trying to kind of, um, I don't know, it's, it's, it feels weird because like 
I don't think that record companies are in their nature evil. All they're trying to do is distribute music. Like, like right. I don't see how that's a bad thing. But they always end up like kind of being painted that way because of you know the way that they set up certain contracts. And you know, Prince himself had kind of mentioned you know stuff like Little Richard, who basically you know ended up only getting about like five percent of his royalties because managers put their own names on the kind of songwriting credits and they were getting money and then their kids were getting money for stuff that they never, you know, they didn't create the music. That was like, that was little Richard. And so like, uh, you know, contracts had kind of been on Prince's mind for a little while before he started getting into disputes with Warner brothers anyway. And so I, I think it's kind of interesting because you know, you look at it now and you know, what are record companies now? Like it, it feels like they're basically, not completely obsolete, but it feels like they're certainly heading in that direction. You know, like, um, obviously we have kind of like the the resurgence of vinyl and stuff like that, but it, it feels like, well, if you can put your music directly onto iTunes, what do you need a record company for? You know, like... <laughs> like yeah, but I mean, you, of... you do still need that, that muscle behind you to even become sort of featured on iTunes or be, to become recognized. It's like that still has a huge thing. It's like... It's just like with the internet in general, when it sounds like so great, like anyone can put anything out there, but not everyone can find everything out there. And so you still need yeah. that kind of promotion and and that kind of, you know, muscle to push you to the top of the heap, basically, at least for a while. And, you know, it, it sounds like, oh, well, on, on one hand, these kind of things might be obsolete, but I don't know if you know the musician Shamir, um, who... Um, put out that song on the regular a couple of years ago. And he basically made that song. It became a huge hit. It's like in like Apple commercials, I think, and, and everywhere. And he basically made it because the label kept saying like, no, you need more of like a single, you need more of a hit, you need more of, of this. And he actually made the song to be almost like the most ridiculous song he could think of. Like that would be sort of so stupid that nobody could possibly like it. And of course the, <laughs> the label was like, we love it. It's perfect. And it became the thing he became like really famous for. And he yeah. like hates it and will not play it. And now he's like doing these kind of like, you know, much more like, soulful sort of pseudo kind of country things now that is what he really wanted to do in the first place and you know so even that idea of the record label that can and the artist at odds is still going on because ultimately their job the record label is thinking well we got to put out something that we think is going to sell too. Like we're not going to, we're not interested in putting out something so esoteric that they're not really interested yeah. in your personal expression. And that is what the artist is typically like looking forward to. So it seems like that's also what, it, you know, Prince and, and Warner brothers are probably always at odds because he sees, well, no, this is what I want to do. I'm the artist. I want to do this at this moment. And they're like, yeah, but mm, that's not going to sell records. Right. And He's sort of saying, well, no, yeah. my name sells records. So, yeah, I, I think I mean, I think that's 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 correct in that, you know, like obviously the people who are record labels, you know, they you know, that's what they do for a job. They they, they kind of know what will sell. Um, but at the same time, there's always those instances of like, you know, the people who like the guy who turned down the Beatles <laughs> and it's like. They don't like they don't know everything. Oh, and no. <laughs> sometimes and sometimes what's popular is something that you don't expect rather than, you know, what is kind of expected. And I think that's sometimes also what Prince was fighting against was like, you know, he wanted to release triple albums and Warner Brothers were always like, okay, if you can get this down to a double, 
we'll let you release it. <laughs> you know, like stuff like that. And it, and and I think you know that's that Prince personally. I think felt like you know at this point, you know, Paisley Park has existed for about nine years, and Prince has been able to record music twenty four seven. So what we're hearing is you know twelve tracks a year, but what he's recording is you know three hundred songs <laughs> and. And he, he wants to try and get as much of that out. And later on, he had the MPG Music Club, which is it was a subscription service. You paid, I think it was about $120 for a year. And every month you would have Prince would upload tracks. And, you know, it was unlimited, basically. It was just every single song that Prince like wanted to release, he would just put onto the MPG Music Club. And over a year, you ended up getting hundreds of songs. And, you know, that was the model Prince wanted to do. He didn't want to spend time promoting a single and mm -hmm. touring and, you know, just kind of limiting himself to a, a kind of a, a percentage of what he was recording. He wanted to, you know, record music and put it out the following week, uh, if possible. You know? It's so weird, though, that then he basically was like, it didn't at a certain point he kind of claimed like, oh, the Internet is dead or something like insane like that. Yeah, he t yeah, he turned on it pretty like he, he had the MPG Music Club for about six years and then he turned on it and he was like, oh, no, no, um, digital music is evil. It's all ones <laughs> and zeros. It's not it's not it's not it's not as warm as, you know, like a, a vinyl record. Like he he kind of turned into this kind of music purist, um, which, you know, he has a point. An MP3 sure, is like sure. a really, you know, compressed form of music. Um, but at the same time, people don't have the space to listen to tracks that, you know, are one gig. You know, it's, it's, it's like, you know, you have to kind of make a choice to cut, to get, be able to get your music out. You have to make a compromise. And generally that compromise is, you know, in terms of like size, you know. All, all of the history of recording has basically always been a downgrade, right? Like we went from listening to live performances to a record, which is a downgrade, you know, like, and, yeah. and most people would say that that record is still the best version of a, a, of a recording out there other than you're saying like, you know, huge, huge files. But as far as distribution and things, it's like, well, yeah, you know, it's most, most things have gone down in quality. Ultimately, the thing is, Russell, I'm a purist. So I only, I only, uh, take my music in the form of sheet music. You know? Exactly. Um, and then, and then, and then I'll, inter I'll interpret that music however I feel best. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, there, there was a, there was a point where for centuries, the only way to hear music was to hear, you know, a 120 piece orchestra playing it for you. Yeah. Um, you know, that's why chamber music was such an indulgence because, you know, being able to afford to have a string quartet come to your party and play um, was, you know, seen as like, the, you know, the mo it, it would literally be like someone hiring, you know, and, and that was that was how that was how, you know, a lot of artists made their money, you know, was touring the, 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 the various palaces and getting paid to play their music live. Um, you know, and obviously that's the situation we're in now. You know, you can't get anything, any money from streaming. You have to make it all from your touring. Yeah. Um, I was going to you know, say, I mean, that, that, you know, the, the weird thing is that the kind of world that Prince wants, um, of, of being sort of just song focused and less album focused is, is basically the world we have now. <laughs> um, yeah. you know, like, it, I mean, it, people don't necessarily care about albums certainly in the way that they used to. I, I still do, but you know, I know I'm an old man, so that's what I should do. But, um, you know, I, I don't think most, you know, younger folks really care about the idea of listening to an album, start to finish song order or anything. And, and so on one hand, the sort of, world of subscription music is what Prince wanted. But on the other hand, I think, 
he would have seen what a disaster that was to him financially <laughs> and would have not wanted that on the, you know. I think, yeah, he had the luxury of he'd had, he basically had been under contract to various different people for almost 20 years. You know, his, his contract with Warner Brothers managed to get him $100 million, um, you know, and he lived in his own gigantic mansion, um, you know, that had, you know, four sound stages and five studios. And, you know, he could he could pre- he was in the position where he could say at that point, well, you know, let's go to streaming. <laughs> right. And that's what he did when when he released his entire back catalogue onto Tidal in like 2015. Mm-hmm. It was like he was able he was in a position to be able to do that. But obviously for new artists, it's not that's not a desirable position. Yeah. And, you know. Obviously, but at the same time, you know, if you have the control of your masters, then, you know, you're able to, you know, to kind of make more money off your music. You know, that that was the argument that Prince had when he um, when he started putting his music online. You know, he said before he would sell a million copies, but he'd only get 20 percent of the royalties. But then he went online and he would only sell 100,000 copies, but he was getting 90 percent of the royalties. Yeah. So from his point of view, he was ending up financially better off anyway even though he was selling less you know less copies um you know so but i i don't know I, to me i find this song quite funny because it's just like you know this is the final song on this album but also it was the b-side uh with dinner with dolores and so you know this is like a minute and a half dinner with dolores is less than three minutes so you're only getting about five minutes worth of music and that's the final kind of like single and b-side that prince releases and it just feels kind of funny because it's like you know, you could basically listen to, you know, 75% of Purple Rain in the time it took for you to listen to both those songs. <laughs> um, you know, so like, I, I, I find it funny because Prince is talking about, you know, like, um, you know, getting kind of you know more music out there. And then he puts the, like the two shortest songs from this album out as the only single. Um, so, but I, I mean, for me personally, I find it hard to give this a grade because it doesn't feel like a song. You know, it's a list and... You know, it kind of ends in a pretty kind of downbeat way. Yeah. And, you know, like the just like kind of finishing with Prince just saying fuck you to Warner Brothers, I think is is funny enough for me that it, I, I feel like I can go as high as the three out of five just for the uh, the amusement of, you know, a major artist being like, you know, I'm done with you and you're going to have to release this song that has me basically being like, fuck you to the record label. I would probably give it a, a two out of five just because I'm a little more turned off by the nastiness of it. And I find, you know, it's hard when I read those lyrics and, and try to divorce the Warner Brothers side from it, which to me, when I just look at the song as what it is without all of this other context, again, I would never come up with this um being directed towards a record label. It just does not seem to be a part of the text. And and, and I think it is intentional. And, and like I said, I, I probably suspect those last few lines were added in, but it just comes across as so like nasty to me that I just don't want to reward him <laughs> for this. Like, and it's also musically, I just kind of feel like whatever, like it's nothing special either. So it's like, it's not a song, yeah. you know, it's like, it's, it's an okay thing. It's what it is. It's, it's, it's like, yeah, the, the you know, plays you out, but it's not even meant to almost be a song. So I don't even, I don't know. 
I, I, I don't feel too guilty about giving it that low of a score. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I feel like it's an improvement o- over the end of um, Come, which was a song called Orgasm. Um, <laughs> and that's roughly the same length as this, but it contains even less material, if you can believe it. Um, so it's an improvement over that, which is why I feel like, you know, it, for me, I can I can kind of give it a three because I'm like, well, it's better it's better than that. You know, it's probably like that. Um so, yeah, I mean, should go without saying Prince never played this live. You know, by the time Chaos and Disorder was released, he was kind of done with the album, you know, and he, 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 he kind of moved on. And he was just like, I, you know, I don't I don't need to I don't need to kind of play anything off this album. Uh, you know, he did a couple of live performances at Dinner with Dolores, and that was pretty much as much promotion as this album got. Um, you know, he was already gearing himself up for the promotion of Emancipation, which you know, he really, he spent basically after Chaos and Disorder came out, he spent most of the year just talking about Emancipation and how big it was going to be. Um, and then when Emancipation came out, he he basically spent the weekend being interviewed by journalists. He flew them all to Paisley Park, EMI, footy the bill, of course. And he spent like two days, you know, playing the album to these journalists and then just inter- being interviewed by anybody. Anyone who walked up to him, he'd just sit down for an hour and just interview with them. Um, and kind of being extremely open. And that was something that, you know, most journalists were like, they hadn't known this from Prince. Right. Um, you know, he's the first time he appeared on, um, uh, on, on television, like performing, I think it was like on uh, soul train. And the guy came over to interview him afterwards, like the host and Prince basically didn't like, he, he gave one word answers. And at one point the host said, how long have you been playing music? And Prince just held up four fingers. <laughs> And that's and that's like with no explanation. So he basically, you know, later on he admitted he admitted that you know, like part of that was his shyness, and he like he wasn't prepared for that interview. But you know, he was known for being someone who didn't give interviews. So when we get to Emancipation, and he's given like I think in one weekend it was something like seventy interviews. You know, he was giving interviews to everybody. Like, that was a complete turnaround. And, you know, noticeably from his promotion of Chaos and Disorder, where he basically kind of disowned that album. Whereas with Emancipation, that was like the next... That was the big thing that he'd spent all year getting ready to promote. Um, so I felt like we said about as much as anyone in the entire world is ever going to say about Had You. Uh, for for um, a song that is like a minute and 30 seconds, I can't believe how <laughs> how long we went on. Yeah. Uh, but you know we're only going to get to talk about this once, so I feel <laughs> right. like we need to get everything out there. So I guess I guess because it is a sort of fi- finality, and it it, it 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 lends itself to sort of uh, talk about bigger things. It's like the you know it's sort of pushing you out into the world in a way, in that it's sort of the end of one thing is the beginning of something else. Anyway, let's go to plugs. Uh, is there anything that you wish to plug, Russell? Sure. Uh, you can check my podcast out. It's called Art Palace from the Cincinnati Art Museum. Uh, we talk about art, but in a fun way. <laughs> and uh, you can follow me on Instagram or uh, Twitter at Russell Eyrig. Uh, look up uh, here how to spell it. And you can find us on Facebook at Prince Trap by Track or on Twitter at Prince Podcast. Or you could email me, not sure why you would, at Prince Trap by Track at gmail.com. Thanks once more for being my guest here, Russell. Sure. And otherwise, add- <laughs>